This is Kenneth Wong, Senior Editor for DE247 as part of the DE webcast series. Today I'm speaking with Jeff Kinder, Autodesk uh, Executive VP of Product Development and Manufacturing Solutions, about a new study that Autodesk has released called the State of Design and Make. Jeff, welcome. Would you mind giving us some idea about what kind of report that is and what does it reveal? Sure, Kenneth, I'm happy to, and thank you for having me. Uh, so we released today our annual, first annual State of Design and Make report. Uh, you know, as you know, we have long talked about at Autodesk, we've long talked about design and make and how they work together and how really the only way you can achieve breakthrough productivity for manufacturers is through by bringing design and make together. And so this report is intended to capture what's on the mind of players in our industry. And we conducted over 2,500 interviews with, uh, uh, with customers and principals in manufacturing, sorry, in all of our industries, manufacturing, AEC, media entertainment, just to find out what's top of mind for them. Uh, and we had three really themes that emerged. Uh, one is sustainability is no longer an afterthought. You know, two is uh, how attracting and retaining talent and skilled employees is a top concern. And the third uh, theme was around digital maturity and how digital maturity helps customers uh, in their ability to adapt to changing circumstances. Why don't we start with sustainability then? Uh, it seems like uh, we have all heard anecdotes about how um, the younger generation of consumers prefer sustainable products. How would that translate to Autodesk R&D? How would that shape, for example, the direction that uh, you might be taking about products like Fusion 360? Sure. Uh, and we have seen from you know customers... Uh, you know, seeking and almost demanding more sustainable products. And by the way, as an aside, our employees expect it too. Our employees expect us to help our customers deliver more sustainable outcomes. But there are probably three ways in which that would show up in Fusion, for example. The first one is around traceability. And so customers are uh, particularly, I think it's it's strongest in Europe and uh, now, but I imagine it will spread throughout the world. But customers are seeking the ability to trace their pro you know, all the inputs into their products, the raw materials or the you know sub products that may go into a final assembly, so they understand where they came from and the environmental footprint that may have been left by each of those parts. So number one is traceability. Two in our with respect to our R and D efforts is just the ability to measure the output. You know what is the uh, impact that you might see from uh, a product that is developed using fusion. Uh, and we have you know we have various tools right now to do, uh, to calculate carbon, for example. And then the last one, uh, you know, and this is uh, you know to me almost a deeper impact is. You know, a lot of our customers are looking at how can they use tools like generative design to reduce the number of parts that may be in a final product. And this has, you know, this has a couple of benefits. One, there's just less waste if there are fewer parts. But two, you know, the logistics of bringing parts together and the environmental impact of, of logistics and transportation can be diminished by having fewer products. 
According to the study, and that actually is one of the things that surprised me, more than half the respondents said that their companies are hiring employees who lack the skills needed for their positions and plan to train them. So is there any insight you can give us, Jeff, on what's causing a skill shortage, particularly in manufacturing? Yeah, this this is an interesting one. And, and we have heard this a lot from customers over the years. Uh, and I, I think there are a few things that are coming together to create this situation in manufacturing. First, it, the manufacturing labor force has been shrinking, you know, for for a long period. You know, there've been a, a decades long period of a, a shrinking manufacturing workforce, you know, and even education, you know, broadly across manufacturing had seen low, had seen lower numbers. Now, by the way, I think that's turning as an aside. I think that's turning. I think we're entering in this Renaissance period. But so you had a kind of a macro shrinking and then the pandemic hit and that was a shock to the system that created more retirements, more exits. And those exits just frankly exceeded the number of new entrants or new uh, you know, skilled labor that was coming into the market. We heard that distinctly from customers. Now, in parallel to this, there's a the technology is changing rapidly and that changes the skills that are needed. So the movement to the cloud, the emphasis on collaboration, compute power increasing, tools like generative design and now generative AI, they're really changing what skills are needed. So on one hand, you've got a declining workforce and an accelerated period of retirements. And then suddenly you need uh, new skills. And so that's those two kind of come together in a way that I think creates an acute shortage and pain on the uh, skilled labor front. I mean, here's a great example. You know, with globalization, we had a flight, uh, you know, there was a flight of many specific manufacturing skills to the markets where things were being created. And that worked, by the way, in a time of very stable macroeconomic uh, factors and, and, and geopolitical risks. Now that those have stepped up a little bit, the you know whether it's inflation, whether it's supply chain challenges, and and let alone a war, you know that's led to more onshoring and reshoring, and those skills just don't exist. And so that's a challenge that we find uh, we hear from customers, and we heard in this report, our customers are dealing with. The report also states that the future global landscape feels more uncertain now than three years ago. Um, we know, of course, uh, we're now just coming out of the pandemic and we are now grappling with the supply chain uh, uncertainties brought on by warfare in Europe, for example. What are the other uncertainties that might be affecting manufacturing sector? Yes, I think the, uh, I mean, you you covered the the most important ones is their geopolitical and macroeconomic uncertainties, but they include, uh, you know, uh, inflation. Right, so inflation is a big factor for manufacturers uh, in the sense that if they have overly manual processes, those just all became more expensive. Now, if you combine that with some of the macroeconomic uncertainties, which lead, could lead to soft demand or at least unpredictable demand. If your cost basis has gone up and your, you know, your top line is less certain, it really squeezes, has the potential to squeeze your profit margins. And so that's what we're hearing from customers is those uncertainties are a challenge to manage. Um, top line is less predictable. 
uh, supply chains are at risk with some of the, you know, with uh, some of the geopolitical factors. And the question is, how can manufacturers adapt fast enough, you know, to those changing circumstances? Um, the what we're seeing, though, which is, you know, exciting and, and we think it's the right direction for manufacturers is to respond by becoming more efficient in uh, to control their bottom line and invest in tools like that will bring more automation uh, and reduce their overall cost basis and make really make them more efficient, to be honest. That's, that's what I think manufacturers are seeking to do right now is if your top line is uncertain, how do you make your cost line more efficient? When in the report, you ask the respondents to rate themselves on digital maturity, it seems like the manufacturers in Asia region rate themselves rather highly, uh, thinking that they are mature um, digitally much more mature than um, the northern North American uh, respondents seems rather unsure about their digital maturity. Can we talk about what it means to be digitally mature? Um, sure, sure. It's funny you're highlighting one of the uh, one of the bigger surprises to me or ahas as I read the report and the results was that different levels of rate of self-grading of digital maturity around the world. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's, you know, some countries are harder graders than others. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but I, I uh, there were distinct differences. And like you said, North America, the U.S. rated itself very low, whereas, you know, uh, some of the Asia Pacific countries, particularly China, rated itself very high. Um, and uh, we just found that interesting. Um, you know, digital maturity is a it's a great concept. And I talked about this at our investor day, gosh, I think three years ago. And and the concept was you're never done transforming. So the idea of inter embarking on digital transformation is it's and embracing that is really important. But you're never done. You just reach a state of maturity. And what that means to me, really high level, is you're not afraid of technology change. You're almost excited by it. You know, that when you read a state of digital maturity means you're embracing and excited by the idea of technology change because you're more flexible. You've adapted your processes. You've adapted your technologies so that ultimately you can be more nimble as a company. You can shift around quickly. And that's what makes you, uh, as I said earlier, one of the themes was digitally mature companies feel more resilient and more flexible. And so I think that's that's what's happened. They've already gone through some of the hard work to change their processes. Uh, they've probably brought their costs down in so doing. Uh, and they have technology that is more modular and more, more interoperable and easy to connect and bring together. And those benefits you know, uh, they pay off and they they are a sign of being digitally mature. All right. Very good. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your insights on the report. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Kenneth. It's great to talk to you. Until next time, this is Kenneth Wong, Senior Editor for DE247, and we are out. Mm -hmm.